Hey, this is Ryan Rogers, and I'm the pastor at the Palmer Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope that this message gives you a glimpse of how beautiful our God is. You may have noticed the title of the sermon is Sound of Silence, and I'll just let you know. I enjoy the music of Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel sing a song called The Sound of Silence. Paul Simon wrote it when he was 21 years old. And I learned this week as I was looking into the song, it was the song that brought Simon and Garfunkel together. So they, they weren't popular when they began, just two musicians. But Paul Simon was selling his song to, to the record company, and they wanted to give it to a band. And he thought, I think this song could be done as a duet. So he got Art Garfunkel, and he went before Columbia Records, the management, and they sang the song. And the management was impressed, and they signed them for a record deal. They, they did their first record, and it was a flop. It just didn't sell. So they split up, and they went their separate ways. And it's actually the sound of silence that brought them back together again. So one of the producers, without talking to Simon or Garfunkel, went back and took their song and put drums to it and some other tracks to it and produced it again, and it sold like crazy. And they came together for more records. Interesting that the acoustic version is actually the more popular one today. But the song, The Sound of Silence, brought the two together twice, and then they just took off from there. And if you know the song, it starts a bit mysterious. Actually, the whole thing is a bit mysterious. It starts with the line, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. But there's one thing that's clear because the repeated phrase over and over in the song is the sound of silence. So one thing you definitely get when you listen to the song is the truth that silence has a sound. There's actually something to be heard when all the other voices are hushed. So if you know the lyrics, there's some people who miss out on that silence because they're like the people who are listening, they're hearing without listening. And it says in the lyrics that they are, um, they're not daring to disturb the sound of silence. They're just going to leave that alone. And there's some who get so preoccupied with the buzz and the noise of the world that towards the end of the song it says, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. So there's this pull to this flashy, attractive noise that can pull us completely away from that sound of silence. Today I want to recognize the truth that silence does have a noise. That quote I shared at the, in the video, when every other voice is hushed and in quietness, we wait before him. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. We want to turn down the noise, not just to not have noise, but because there's something so powerful that God wants to speak into our lives and I think I'm guilty, and most of us are guilty, of having the volume so high in life that we often miss that life-giving message in the sound of silence. Silence has a noise. Have you heard it? You want to hear more of it? We're going to follow the idea of silence in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you know Elijah's story and you know that, then you're thinking you already know the punchline because everyone's familiar with the story. And the punchline goes like this. There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And there was wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. And there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But he was in the still small voice. And so you think you can just check out for the whole sermon because you already know it's just going to that still small voice. 
But there is so much more in the experience of Elijah. In fact, as I studied this and I went out there yesterday to that lake and I reviewed my notes, I realized I, I had an hour-long sermon. So I cut it in half. So you're going to hear about silence for two weeks. And today is going to feel like we didn't resolve it because all we're going to talk about today is the beginning part. That is our need to turn down the noise. In Elijah's life, there was a lot of noise. Uh, internal and external, but mostly internal, mostly emotional noise. And I'll just say it now because I know I'm going to say Elisha at some point during the sermon. So if I say Elijah or Elisha, I just mean Elijah, but I'm going to mess it up because I do that a lot. So I'm talking about Elijah, and Elijah's life had a ton of noise. So we're going to just kind of go through his story and recognize how emotionally noisy it would have been to be prophet Elijah. When he shows up, there was a king in Judah who was a good king. His name was Asa. And he was, at the time Elijah, Elijah shows up, he was nearing the end of his 41-year reign. So a good king reigned a long time. But over in Israel, it was really different. There were wicked kings with shorter reigns, and this wicked king after wicked king. And then there was Omri. He actually reigned like 22 years. But it says that he did more evil than all the other kings before him. So the wickedness is going down. Then Omri has a son named Ahab, and it says he outdid him in wickedness. He did even more evil and that's the king that is king of Israel when Elijah shows up. So 1 Kings chapter 17 is the first appearance of Elijah. And he's doing an incredibly bold thing. I'll read it and then we'll talk about why it's so bold. So 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab. Now Ahab's the worst of the worst. He's the wicked one. He says to him, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. And the reason that was such a bold statement is if you look back at the last uh, several verses there in chapter 16, you see that Ahab married Jezebel, who was named after the god Baal. There's a name they called him Zebel, and she was named after him. Her dad was the king of the Sidonians. This is in chapter um, 16, verse 31. And his name was Ethbel, which means with Baal. And Sidonians were a Canaanite nation who worshipped Baal. And then it says that in verse 32, he erected an altar to Baal and to the house of Baal. So Ahab, the wicked, wicked of wicked kings, he is giving himself fully to the worship of Baal, marrying someone who worshiped Baal. His father-in-law is a king of a nation that worships Baal. And Baal, they believed, false god, but they believed Baal was a god of fertility associated with agriculture. So the one they believed who gave the dew and the rain was Baal. In fact, one of the names for Baal, when translated into English, is the Lord of the dew and the rain. So Elijah goes to this man who's given himself to Baal worship and says, there's not going to be any dew or rain unless I say so, because I'm standing here in the name of the Lord. The name of Elijah, his name means 
the Lord, he is God. And that's what his mission was as a prophet, was to prove to Baal-worshipping king that the Lord is God, not Baal. So you see what he did in chapter 17, verse 1? He, like, picked a fight. He challenged a wicked king, and he said, you think this is how it is? Well, I'm going to show you through suffering that your God is nothing. Well, his life, I mean, so just pause right there. Anyone experience conflict in your life? Have hard conversations? So there's some emotional noise that happens when that, like there's all kinds of voices speaking to you. So just follow the noisiness inside of Elijah's experience. And then it got even worse for him because after he did that bold thing, well, he was a wanted man. So he went and hid and God provided for him. He went to a brook and he was fed by ravens, but the brook dried up. So he's still in hiding and he went to a widow and she did not have enough food to share, but she shared anyway. And the flour didn't run out and the oil didn't run dry. And so he has this experience of scarcity, but God providing. Kind of this roller coaster of I'm hiding, but God sees me. And then he had joy and he had tragedy. There was the son in the widow's house who died. There's a lot of emotion with that. And then the Spirit of God was on Elijah in such a way that he raised the son back to life. So now there's joy. So there's these feelings of success and failure and loneliness, but God's with me. A lot of emotional noise in Elijah's experience. Well, that type of living lasted three years. And God came to him again. This is chapter 18, verse 1. It's kind of nice. All the important things happen in verse 1. So you just look for the big numbers. So chapter 18, verse 1, it says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is the third year. And he said, go show yourself to Ahab. I will send rain upon the land. And showing himself to Ahab would have been really scary. There's a lot of emotional noise in that. Because he found out, if you kept reading, he went to show himself to Ahab and he ran into a righteous partner of Ahab named Obadiah. And he tells him, hey, I'm not going to tell Ahab, you're here because you might get taken away. And haven't you heard that Jezebel has massacred the prophets of the Lord? So he's appearing before the man married to Jezebel who's massacred people like him. And then he says, and haven't you heard that Ahab has gone to every nation in search of you and made them take an oath saying they have not seen you. So he's on a violent manhunt for him. And that's the person God tells him to go appear. Show yourself to this man. God calls us to do some hard stuff. So three years in hiding, and now go show yourself to the man who's been searching for you to kill you for three years. Well, Elijah does it. And when he does it, he doesn't apologize. He says, meet me on Mount Carmel. And he invites, invites him to a showdown between the gods. So more noise. And this time there's external noise. There's the yelling and crying out of the 450 prophets of Baal. And then there's the internal noise of knowing that if God doesn't answer by fire, he's going to be killed. And that it's a very intense climax moment in, in his career as a prophet and his experience with God. Well, God wins the showdown in a dramatic way. And then Elijah has a tough job. It's kind of a, a thing we pass over in the story. He actually takes those 450 prophets and and destroys them. And no matter how wicked they are and, or how callous your heart is, that's kind of a weighty thing to do, right? Like, there would be a lot of emotional noise and, and burden in that task alone. 
Then he turns to Ahab. He didn't kill Ahab. He turns to Ahab and says, Ahab, you better hurry home because it's going to rain. And then he hears more external noise. He hears the sound of the wind and the rain coming. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he runs in front of the chariots. It's about 25 miles. He sprints. And then it's, a, it's like you read the story and you think he has more work to do. There's, there's more plans that Ahab has of reform because he's just defeated the prophets of Baal. But now he's going back to Jezreel with uh, the king for a reason. Like you don't sprint 25 miles for no reason. But we never see what the reason is because when he see, receives a message from Jezebel, he turns around. So now we're in chapter 19. Think of all the noise. Now this is external noise. He's hearing the words of Jezebel. She heard that he killed the prophets. And she says, chapter 19, verse 2, says, Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Uh, the emotional state Elijah was in, those words just hit him hard. They were very loud, noisy words. He probably would have been exhausted after that run, but there's enough noise in those words that he turns around, and it says, verse 3, he ran for his life. He ran to Beersheba, which is over 100 miles. So now he, you know, after the 25-mile sprint, he runs down there. So he is running for his life, escaping all this emotional noise. Can you hear the noise in his life? Like at that point, he can hear his heart beating and his heavy breath, but he hears the internal noise of conflict, of huge success as a superhero prophet of God, and then also feeling alone in that, and then feeling defeated when the, the king's wife is out to get him. He has all this noise, and it was too much for him. He had to run away. He ran to Beersheba, which is at the edge of the wilderness. He ran as far as he could go in civilization, and now he was going to leave civilization and just get away from all the noise. Noise does that to us, doesn't it? It, we get noise overload. And in the world we live in today, the volume is higher than it's ever been. It's high. There is noise coming from everywhere. And uh, if we don't do something to turn down the noise and to meet God in the silence, we will just miss that opportunity because the noise will just take all of our attention. So today the focus, just turn down that noise. When I say that the noise is higher than it's ever been. I don't think my experience is harder than Elijah's. I think his is more intense than anything I've ever done. But just imagine with me. So imagine if Elijah had all that internal external noise and he also had an iPhone. So if, in addition to all that noise, he had the messages coming to him that distract him from all the ministry God is calling him to do. Now, if you give him some technology, there'd be some benefits. Of course, there'd be some benefits. I was just thinking, so I have a Fitbit. If Elijah had this, he'd be crushing his steps. Like, he'd get, he'd, you know, 120 miles in a day. And, you know, there'd be some things like, uh, I don't know, I can imagine him checking the weather, right? No rain for three years. But there'd be other things that would just add to the noise. So if he had an iPhone, he could read every angry tweet of Jezebel. Every threat she sends out. Like, he didn't even know she killed the prophets until after three years. But he could have been reading all those threats. He could have been watching 
the broadcast, the news broadcast of Ahab on his manhunt and think, oh, he's looking for me and all that emotional noise. You know, he would have been on Mount Sinai trying to focus all his energy, like this is an important moment to stay connected with the Lord, and uh, then there would have been something vibrating in his pocket. All this added noise and distraction. He would have, he would have had uh, what we call, uh, the term we have today, because we have access to all the reports around the world, we call it compassion fatigue. You've ever heard of that? Where we, we are taxed so much by the troubles around the world that one, it overwhelms us, and then we just kind of turn off our senses to compassion. So he would have had compassion fatigue as he watched all the suffering of the drought that he pronounced. Watching all these, these tragic things happen would have, would have worn at him, and then he would have had the guilt of saying, you know, I'm the prophet who stopped the rain, so this terrible thing happened to this family. So all these messages would have added to that. He would have had three years to maybe just get hooked on streaming videos and totally get moved off his mission. He would have had so much more noise, and I wonder, would he have ever actually even made it to Mount Carmel? Because like, to get to Mount Carmel, he had to hear the voice of God saying, go show yourself to Ahab. So I wonder, if he had all the media technology we have today, would he ever have turned down the noise enough to hear the voice of God? We have a lot of noise to turn down. You remember Y2K, when computers were going to destroy the world? Technology has not caused the world to blow up, but it's just caused the noise to blow up. Like, there's so many more messages available to us. So in year 2000, there were zero podcasts to listen to. There were zero streaming services. There were zero smartphones, zero apps, zero videos on YouTube, zero Facebook accounts, zero posts on Instagram. There was a lot less access to noise just 21 years ago. All that noise that adds in our life that we didn't have then. So I'm going to think about some of the ways we might turn down the noise. Um, I think it's an intentional thing of the devil. You know the verse? It says, we, our enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Like, he prowls around and part of his strategy is to make noise to distract us. Remember the story of, of uh, the statue, Nebuchadnezzar? When you hear the sound of the music, bow down. Like part of him calling our hearts into affection for him was, let's make some noise to lure them in to apostasy. Jesus spoke to demons and said, told them not to speak. Don't speak. There's a time when God, we need to let God quiet the voices that the devil sends our way because we can't hear that sound, that transformational moment with God if the, if the noise is too loud. So here's a few, uh, a few traps we might fall into. So I'm going to call the first, uh, the first trap is, is all this unnecessary noise. A perfect example when we look at YouTube. So YouTube has 120 billion videos. A lot of videos. And there's 100 or 200,000 new uploads a day. Of all those 120 billion videos, there's one at the very top that has the most views all time. It has 
1.9 billion views. You know what that video is? It's a really important one. It's a video called, yeah, someone said it, Baby Shark Dance. Have you ever seen Baby Shark Dance? If you've seen it, you know it's not a necessary noise in your life. <laughs> Useless, irritating, it's just noise. That means that 8.9 billion times someone filled their life with useless noise. So I'm going to call it the baby shark trap or trick. We are trapped in this way of thinking that we need the noise. And baby shark is an excellent example that so much of that noise, some of it's educational, some of it's inspirational, so much of the noise is just useless. So what noise in your life, maybe it's entertaining, maybe it's funny, what noise are you putting into your life that's just useless. It's meaningless. Could you this week, and maybe the rest of your life, turn down the useless noise? Like, listen to it and say, wait, I don't need that, and it's making it harder for me to hear the things I need to hear. I'm just going to cut that out. I'm going to cut that noise out. And you might not be, uh, maybe you're listening to me talk about all this tech stuff, and you think, you know, I'm not too into technology. Anyone willing to admit you're technology dumb? You don't do technology. So, so you're thinking, hey, I don't have noise. But just think of the life of Elijah. The noise of conflict. The noise of relationships and stress and highs and lows. Every single one of us has noise. So even if you're listening and you think, you know, I don't use uh, social media. I spend my time gardening. When I listen to music, it's classical music. I don't text and drive. Or maybe I don't even text at all. Uh, you still have noise. I, I know, have you ever tried to, to share with someone who doesn't know how to use the computer, how to use the computer? I know I've tried to explain, and I love you. If this is you that I'm talking about, I love you. But I've tried to explain how to find our church services online. And for some people, it's really hard, right? I, one time I was explaining it, and I said, you go to YouTube. And they said, I don't even own a YouTube. I don't even have a YouTube in my house. So if you don't own a YouTube, then that's good. You don't even need to worry about all that technology noise. The point is, every single one of us has noise at a high volume. And even if you don't use the technology, it's being used on you. All right? So there's all these reports coming in that we didn't have access to. There's smart people. You know, I stopped math in high school, but some smart people went on and they're designing algorithms so that they feed you the noise that most likely will distract your attention. Like, how can you compete with that? we got to turn down the noise. There's another trap. I'll call it the, uh, the white noise trap. So, uh, you ever seen these things? We use a white noise machine in our kids' room. And the theory is it actually works. I don't like it, but um, white noise. So, there's noises that happen, like people moving around the house or a car honking. And... If you, can you hear it? Oh, that's not good. So it makes a constant humming noise. And the idea is that the constant noise drowns out the inconsistent noises that might wake you up. So we have this white noise. And it works to fight noise with noise in my kid's bedroom. It doesn't work in our lives. We try to fight noise by adding more noise. That looks like when we're lonely, we find something else to watch or listen to and just add noise to the noise. 
when we feel exhausted and we've just had too much noise wearing us down, rather than recognizing, oh, I'm exhausted, I need a break from the noise, we add noise of a hobby or an entertainment thing. You can't fight noise with noise. The solution you need when you're noise overwhelmed is not noise to entertain yourself. It's to turn down the noise and get alone with Jesus. That's the only cure for noise overload. So we can't take white noise and say, oh man, there's so much noise in my life. I'm going to turn up more noise to get away from the noise. That's a trap. We have to turn down the noise and be in the quiet with Jesus. There's another trap I learned. I'll call it the Zoom trap. I'll confess a story that just makes me sound ridiculous. So, I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings. If you don't own a Zoom, don't worry about it. <laughs> Zoom is on your computer. So, Zoom is this platform for video conversations. One time, I had two of them at once. So, I didn't schedule them, and it was a surprise to me, but it was a really important one. So, I thought, I better, I better be there for both of these. So I pulled a Zoom meeting up on my computer. I pulled a Zoom meeting up on my phone. But you can't turn the volume on because they interfere with each other unless you're muted. But I wanted to comment. You know, I wanted to be engaged in both these. So I plugged in headphones to my computer and headphones to my phone. And I put one meeting in my right ear and one meeting in my left ear. <laughs> That'll mess your brain up. So when we try to take too many noises in, it is so confusing. We can't handle it. And so one of the traps we fall into, and you do it too, you laugh at me and it's ridiculous. I won't do two meetings at once. But we believe that we can actually take in and process all the noise. And we can't. Don't fall into the trap of believing I have emotional space to receive all the noise. Actually, we have to choose which noise we're going to shut off and turn off and turn down and which noises we're going to let in another trap of noise. A trap that uh, we try to fill every space with noise. So there was a study done by uh, Microsoft. It was an attention span study. And in their attention span study, this is the one, you might have heard it because it's six years old. This is the one where they realized that in about 2013, the, Amer the human general population attention span actually dropped right below the level of the goldfish. So we went down to, to eight seconds and they're at nine seconds. So yeah, in the last decade, we've moved our attention span below the goldfish. But in that study, they asked a question. They asked it to young adults and they said, uh, you know, check yes if you agree with this statement. The statement was, when nothing else is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. So think about that. Like we have all this noise, and then by the grace of God, we have these little spaces without noise. But 77% of young adults say, when that happens, I shut that silence down right away because the first thing I do is I reach for my phone. Do you do that? Like if you have a moment and you're wondering, what should I do? You reach for something to fill the noise. You know what that does? It kills every dead spot in our day that we might reflect on life, that we might pray, that we might hear the voice of God. And what we've done, we actually, we've done away with boredom. We don't have to be bored anymore. But we've also, and in doing that, we've done away with self-reflection and deep listening to God. So these are all the ways that noise is at a level it's never been. So Elijah was over loaded with noise, and he ran to Beersheba. Now, 
we might be at a point where we need to run. Like, we need to run and get away. Those are when it's extreme, like when you know that you have to get away. But what's even better is that we live our life with routines of turning down the noise so we don't have to run away to Beersheba. So I want you to think about how you might turn down the noise. I'm going to end with a quote that I started with. See, aren't you glad I didn't preach the whole sermon? It would have gone forever. I, I've been thinking this week of the Grinch who stole Christmas. You know that guy? And he looks down on Whoville and he says, all the noise, 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 and he plugs his ears. And in a way, wanting to have more of an attitude like that toward the things of the world blasting at me, just see it as noise, 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 and I don't want to take in all this stuff. I don't have to take in all this stuff. I could actually shut down this noise and listen to God. So I've mentioned a few times a, a sentence from the book Desire of Ages, 363. Now, I'm just going to close by reading a full paragraph, and it's right in the middle of that. And I'm going to avoid the temptation to make comment on this because every line I want to preach on, because it's so good. So I'm just going to pause when I want to preach and let you think about it because it's powerful. And these are going to be the last words I say, and then we're going to have a song. And let this speak to you and call you this week to do something intentional to turn down the noise. Desire of Ages 363. All who are under the training of God, in all who are under the training of God, is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs, or its practices. And everyone needs to have a personal experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. We must individually hear him speak to the heart. When every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him, the stillness of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us be still and know that I am God. Here alone can true rest be found. And this is the effectual preparation for all who labor for God. Amid the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, the soul that is thus refreshed shall be surrounded with an atmosphere of light and peace. The life will breathe out fragrance and will reveal a divine power that will reach men's hearts. Thanks for listening to this message from the Palmer Seventh-day Adventist Church. Find us online at palmerak.adventistchurch.org and at PastorRyanRogers.com